Ksuvas Perik Tes Mishnaches 9.8. This Mishnah really just explains what was going on in the first previous Mishnah, Mishnah Zion. So the Mishnah says, Hapogemus Ksubasa Ketzad. What does it mean that a woman um, impairs her Ksuba? So it's really, I'm going to explain this again, um, but you need to make sure you listen to the previous Mishnah to understand this Mishnah fully. So the case is, says the Mishnah, Ketzad, how does it work? Ksuvasa Let's say, for example, her total Ksuba, meaning the Iker Ksuba plus the Tosefus, altogether is a thousand Zuz. Va'amrla. And he says to her, His Kabalt Ksubasich. He claims you've already been paid that full 1,000. Vihi Omeris, she denies it, and she says, Lohis Kabalti Elamana. It's not true. I only got 100, meaning you owe me 900 more. Lo Sivpara, she will not be allowed to collect anything, even though she has her Ksuba. Ela Bishfua, unless she first takes her Shvua. So if you recall what I explained in the previous Mishnah, this isn't exactly what I said. In the previous Mishnah, I said the case of the Pogemas, Ksuba, so the person who impairs her Ksuba, is one who um, admits it's been partially repaid. This Mishnah here says first there's a sort of a give and take where he claims it was all repaid, and then she says no, and make a partial claim. So the bottom line, what's coming out here, and the point of this Mishnah is larger what I said before, but the inconsistency is that this when he first denies her claim in full, saying, no, I paid you fully, so then he's within his rights to demand that she takes a shvua. But it's not procedurally always that case, meaning if he doesn't demand that she swear before collecting, she won't have to swear before collecting. And that's true in the same analogous case. If any creditor comes to any debtor and says, here's the contract, you have to pay me back, and the guy says, the debtor says, no, I paid you already, well, he's going to have to pay because there's a contract that says he has to pay. But he's within his rights, if he chooses to exercise them, to demand that the plaintiff, the one demanding repayment, swears he has been repaid. If he doesn't make such a demand, if the nitva, the defendant, doesn't make such a demand, then the plaintiff will collect without making a shvua. He doesn't have to swear. Um, so the point of our mission here is that the husband denying in full doesn't necessarily kick in the requirements for the wife to make a shvua prior to collecting her ksuba, but once she admits to partial repayment, then the courts impose a shvua on her, regardless of what her husband says, because based on what we said in the previous Mishnah, the rabbis were concerned that she won't keep careful tracks, therefore we want her to know there's always a shvua associated with a impaired ksuba where you're asking only for partial repayment, and your claim doesn't match what it says in the contract because we're afraid you weren't um, didn't keep careful tabs on exactly how much you, the wife in this case, had been repaid. So that's what the Mishnah says. I'm reading it again now, just filling it all into the words. You see it says, What's the case of the previous Mishnah of a woman who impaired her ksuba? She had a thousand zuz to be paid to her. He claims it's been paid in full already. He could make her take a shvua, but he doesn't. So there won't be a shvua yet. But if she then retorts saying, Yeah, I just got a hundred, nine hundred more to go. Now she's been pogemes eser ksuba. Now she has impaired her ksuba. And now... Regardless of what he demands of her, lo sipara, she cannot get repaid. The courts enforce her, ela bishvua, to take a shvua, and only then can she collect. The next case of the previous mission was, eid echad me'ida shi'ifarua. There was one witness who testifies that she was repaid. So Keita, what's the case there? Similar to the previous case, haisik subasa elavzuz. She had a thousand zuz coming to her based on what's written in her ksuba. Va'amala his kabalt ksubasich. Again, the husband says, you've been repaid in full. He could demand her take a shua, like I said before, but he doesn't. But if then she responds, she denies it. 
But then there's a single witness, not two witnesses, but one witness, who says that she indeed was repaid, corroborating the claim of the husband, the defendant. So then, procedurally, regardless of whether or not he demands her to take a shvua, she will not get paid out her ksuba, unless she first swears that again was for the sake of, of being the fayas, of, of, of assuaging the mind of the the husband who feels like he's getting totally ripped off over here. Then we have those three categories where he wasn't present. So here we go. The order is actually switched. There's different gearsolos what the proper order should be, but whatever the case is, we have those three cases where he's not present. The first in this version of the Mishnah is Menachasim Meshubadim. She's claiming from encumbered properties. Again, what does that look like? Ketzad. Machar Nechasim Lacherim. While they're married, the husband sold his property to another third party. And that sale happened after the date of the Ksuba. And therefore, the Ksuba has a lien on that property. So therefore, she wants to now collect from that property. She's intending to get repaid to recover the amount that she's owed in her Ksuba from the purchase of that property. But the husband's not present. The, you know, the defendant is the purchase of the property. The plaintiff is the woman. The husband's not in the picture. So the rule is, procedurally, at all events, lo sipara, she, the wife in this case, will not be paid out, until she first swears that she's owed the money. And again, like all these cases, this would be exactly the same if a person went to Bezid, not a married couple, went to a Ksuba with a contract, an IOU, he says, this, you know, Mr. A owes me 100 bucks. he's not paying me, I'm collecting from my the property Mr. A owned at the time, which was collateral, he's collecting from Mr. B, he will not be able to collect from Mr. B until he swears that the money is owed to him. Okay, the, the next case, the mission of what I'll call case 3b, where the husband isn't present, is from the property of the orphans, literally, meaning the heirs. So that means the husband now, first let's say, divorced his wife, and now he's dead. So now she's trying to collect not from him, but from his inheritors, his heirs, these these orphans. So then, it doesn't matter how old they are. Okay, so how does that look? Mace, first the husband dies. So therefore, now his assets flow down to his heirs, vihi nifras She intends to get repaid her ksuba from the assets which now are in the hands of the inheritors, the heirs. So the rule is, regardless of their claims, lo separa, she cannot get repaid ela bishvua unless she first takes a shvua. Again, the point is procedurally, always you're claiming from heirs, from inheritors, you have to first take a shvua that indeed you're owed the money because what do they know? They're in the dark. They can't know the facts because they're not really the other side of the equation. The other side of the equation was their father who made the commitment to now either did or didn't repay it, but they don't know. And the final case, I'll call it 3C, is Vishalo Bafanov Ketzad. How does it look like that he's not around? So what does that mean? It means something like Halach Lola Medina Sayam. He went overseas. Medina Sayam literally means to the, you know, the nations, the countries of the ocean, wherever that would be. But it conceptually doesn't mean that per se. It means he's gone away where he's not really accessible. And the Lach actually means um, that he is so far away that we can't get him back into Bezdin within 30 days. So she's come to court, and she wants to get repaid. They say, where's your husband? She says, he's, you know, he's away, and the distance he's away is such that, you know, the time it takes for the message to get him and him to come back would take more than 30 days. In the good old days of Mishnah, you know, the world is a big place, not like today. Uh, since she's seeking to get repaid her ksuba, and he, the husband's not present anymore, 
In a nifras, she simply will not get repaid, Ella b'shvua, unless she first takes a shvua. Again, the idea is here that the bezin's like acting his behalf. They're saying, if your husband were here, he very well, very well might say, you've been paid your ksuba, in which case you'd be forced to take a shvua. He's not here. He can't defend himself. So we're going to let you collect your ksuba from his his money. We'll take it away from But first, you must take a shvua that it's owed to you as if, as if he were here and he was denying your claim. Um... Worth noting, just as kind of like a side point, but the case here has to be that that the husband divorced her and then, like you know, gone the next you know plane out of town, um, because of course if he's dead, he, it's not a case of not being present. And if he didn't divorce her, she couldn't collect. Let me speak that out for a second. It's the final point I'm making before I move on to the last part of the Mishnah. The get is only paid out on the event of either, and there are only two possibilities: either a the husband dies, or b the husband divorces her. If the husband didn't die and then divorce her, he just abandoned her and he went, you know, on his, you know, moved moved to Indonesia, and she'll never going to see him again. She can't collect from the ksuba because the ksuba doesn't kick in while he's alive. Um, she of course could go to the courts and have, you know, appropriated from his estate or his whatever is his money, mizonos the support for her food and her health care and her clothing and so on. Um, but actually, the ksuba payment per se she can't get until he's uh, confirmed to be dead. Okay, now the last part of the Mishnah is Rabbi Shimon. Now, Rabbi Shimon uh, really is arguing on something we discussed back in the fifth and fourth Mishnahs of the Perak earlier on. So you recall, um, let's let's do them one at a time. The first thing he says, Rabbi Shimon Omer, Kozmanchi Tovas Ksubasa, any time that she is demanding her Ksuba from inheritors, Hayorshin Mashbinosa, the heirs, those inheritors from whom she's claiming, are entitled to make her swear that she's owed the money before she has to pay. Now that's kind of, seems like old news. What's the chedesh there? We just said that. Um, the point here is Rabbi Shimon's arguing with something we said um, way back in the fifth Mishnah. So Mishnah 9.5, we said that the husband could waive the requirement of the wife to make various shvuas. Up to that point, when we were learning the Mishnah back in, hey, all we had seen is the shvuas apitropus, when she had acted as a fiduciary on his for his financial for his affairs. Um, but I mentioned there that there are other cases we'll see in Mishnah Zion and Ches. Well, here we are, Mishnah Zion and Ches. So um, the point is, he was able to waive the requirements for her to take any shvua, and then the Mishnah went on to say, he even could waive the rights um, of his heirs to demand for her to take a shvua. And the Mishnah seemed to say that would be binding if he explicitly said his heirs won't have the right to make her swear. Rabbi Shimon is arguing with that point. He's saying, no, the heirs could always, even if he waived, he attempted to waive the requirement for her to have to swear to the to the, his heirs. No, he, that's beyond his power. The heirs are allowed to demand the shvua no matter what. That's Rabbi Shimon's position. That's what he's saying over here. Kozmanji tovask subasa. Anytime she's demanding suba from her ksuba payment from the heirs, even if the husband attempted to waive the requirement for it to take the shvua, no, the heirs can force her to take a shvua. That's the first point. And the Shulchan Aruch brings this shita also. Um, so the Machlok is actually, it's brought down all the way to Shulchan Aruch, if he explicitly waives the requirements for her to take a shvua, um, even to the, to the heirs, if that is binding. So there's two shitas here, and Rav Shimon's shita is brought down as well. Um, second of all, Rabbi Shimon has another point, which is that the heirs cannot make her take a shvua until and only if and when she's claiming to be paid out on her ksuba. This is really going back to an issue we discussed in in uh, Mishnah Dalit, 
um, there we had that shvus apitropus that we said whenever in the normal circumstances the default thing is you can't make a person take a shvua they don't owe you money unless you have a tinus bar you're certain they owe, certainly you're certain that they owe you money um, but we said there's an exception which is the shvus apitropus once they've been appointed a fiduciary they have responsibility to you because they're acting as your agent or your proxy or trustee or something so then even if you have a shema claim you just suspect them of doing something improper, you can demand that they take a shvua, that there was no malfeasance, no, not that they didn't take any money that didn't belong to them. And the Mishnah there said that is true in general, and it's true even with one's own wife. If one's own wife has been, been appointed as an apitropa, as like a fiduciary for him, acting, you know, his affairs, buying on his behalf, or selling stuff, running his shop, and so on. So he can also demand she take a shvua. Um, and similarly, we said that the kids thereafter um, would be able to force her to take a shvua before collecting. So the point of Rabbi Shimon here is that there's no shvua taken until the ksuba is claimed, which doesn't just mean, of course, when she's collecting from the heirs, which is sort of like not much of a chiddush here, but the big chiddush here is even it's it's contradicting what was said in, in back in Mishnah Dalit. He's arguing with the Tanakhama there. He's saying even the husband, not only the heirs, but even the husband um, can't force his wife to take a, like a shvua sabitropus whenever he darn feels like, well, feels like it. It's not how marriage works. She's a wife. Um, but when she comes to collect her ksuba, then he certainly can. So the point is whether it's he or the heirs that are are being claimed to pay out the ksuba, at that point, if she had functioned as an apitropus, some kind of fiduciary on his behalf, so then, or agent, proxy, etc., then before she collects, she can be forced to take a shvua, um, even so it's a, only a, you know, of Shema claim, there's no certainty. And of course, don't forget, there's this Gilgul Shvua. Once you're taking a Shvua, then they can pile on, you know, that she should also swear about other other matters regarding, you know, regarding being owed the Ksuba. So she, they can make her swear about all that. But the point of Rabbi Shimon is that it only happens once when she collects Ksuba and not during the marriage at all. And again, the Shulchan Aruch brings that Shita as a Shita as well.